Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James. This is my fancy, I'm doing a show voice. I'll come out of it in just a minute. But I'm super excited that you all are here and kicking it with me. We got a dope show tonight. The one and only Douglas Wydick is on the show. He and I have known each other since 2008, 2007 or something like that from the New York City improv scene. He is a dear friend, a very good friend of mine and an incredible man. And I'm excited for you to meet him. But you don't get to do that yet because my friends... There's got to be something sacred in this world right now. And that's top three, top three, y'all. Let's jump in. Tonight's top three, top three. First off, <clears throat> normally at this time of the year, I would be getting on planes and flying all around the country, speaking at new student orientations and speaking to student leaders and stuff like that. In the month of August, I typically take almost 30 to 40 flights and I love flying, but these are three things I will not miss about flying. Okay. First off, Smacking my head on the overhead bin every single time in every single plane, regardless of how many times I've been on a damn plane. I don't know why I do it every time. It's embarrassing every time. Go team. Next, getting my laptop and then my knees sequentially crushed by someone with an ambitious seat recline in front of me. My friends, can we just say this? Don't recline your seat, okay? Or or turn around and ask, is the person behind you 6'4 and a large American? Potentially, it would be nice. But in general, don't recline. You didn't pay for that space. You'd pay for the space in front of you. Thanks. Okay, next. The least thing that I'm going to rem- that I'm going to uh, that I will not miss about flying is praying that the aisle armrest opens up so that I can release my mass into the aisle. My friends, listen. As a big man on the plane, there are a few places for me to go, and God bless the aisle. That's the first one tonight's top three. Top three next. As I mentioned, Doug and I go way back. So these next two are actually Doug-related top three, top three. Um, The first one are the top three meals I've ever had with Douglas Wydick. Top three meals I've ever had with Douglas Wydick. Fun fact about us, we love to eat. Uh, My man is always sending me stuff on Instagram and stuff like that and uh, sending me recipes and showing me things he's made. Like, look, look, I made a little bouillabaisse sauce. Yeah, good for you, Dougie. So it's always lovely. But uh, my favorite three meals that I've had with Doug, first off, we discovered Peter Pan. Uh, Peter Pan is a diner that does, it's a Polish diner in, uh, in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And it is old school y'all. I mean, they, I don't, I don't know if I saw, I don't know if I saw a server smile the entire time we were in there. And there were definitely at least seven people that are there every single day at that exact same time. They don't even have to order anymore. These women just know what to bring them. And that is an iconic location to just spend a little bit of time in Brooklyn telling stories with my boy, Doug. Next, Doug and I went to what has been frequently rated as the number one pizza place in the world. Too far as Brooklyn uh, in Brooklyn is an incredible pizza joint. They make it all by hand. Usually you have to wait in line. Doug and I knew this. So we showed up maybe 45 minutes or an hour before the place opened and then just awkwardly stood on the corner in Brooklyn waiting for these guys to open it up. Uh, but it was completely worth the wait uh, because we love a food that have stories tied to them. Uh, and uh, and there was no, no shortage of stories inside this pizza space, y'all. I appreciate that. And my favorite place to have a meal with Dougie by far is in Boca Raton at his mother and father's house when they make in the morning bacon, thick cut bacon in that in that cast iron skillet thick cut bacon they then do the eggs in the bacon fat they then dredge the whole thing in a sexy amount of cheese they got the fat english muffins or maybe a croissant they're very fancy with their artisanal breads and then they put some fresh avocado on top and it's sexy my friends uh doug's parents are dear dear uh family members of mine as far as i'm concerned Best but not least, top three random things Doug and I have done. First off, we went to the Staten Island Graveyard. The Staten Island, not graveyard, that would be creepy. The Staten Island Boat Graveyard. Here's what that looks like. 
it's basically this place in Staten Island where all these books have just been sent. These boats have been sent to die and they just sit there and they rust and Doug walking out. We and I walked around. We had no business doing this. No one would have known if we fell in. I can't believe we didn't get tetanus, uh, but we lived to tell about it. And then we got some good old fashioned Staten Island pizza. Okay. Watch your mouth. Next. <clears throat> we did an underwater photo shoot with his father. <laughs> Uh, this was delightfully random, y'all. Uh, needless to say, I look the same above ground as I do below ground, uh, but it was a delightful time. And I don't, I now have more respect for models that shoot underwater uh, because we, I just didn't think I made it look good. But Dougie looked fresh in the pictures. Last but not least, last but not least, one of my favorite random things that Doug and I have done actually just happened recently. He came to visit Tina and I out here in Minneapolis with his uh, amazing girlfriend, Anne Marie. And I got to listen to Doug sing Raspberry Beret in Paisley Park. That's right. Prince's Studios. I got to listen to Doug uh, sing Raspberry Beret. And it was just a beautiful moment and a memory I will cherish. That's tonight's top three, top three. My friends, let's jump in. Tonight, my guest is the one and only Douglas Wydick. Born and raised down in Florida, but has been in New York for most of his life. And he has the spirit of a uh, Long Island Jewish woman. <clears throat> and this guy is incredible. All right. By far, uh, I call him Dougie making moves. He has by far one of the strongest work ethics that I know. Uh, he is someone who was given a lot uh, given a lot when he was grown up and you wouldn't know it by how hard this man hustles. I also say that as someone who was also given a lot while he was growing up. Douglas Wydick is the uh, co-owner of North Coast Hip Hop Improv with me. Uh, we founded it a long time ago, uh, and uh, we do hip hop improv all around the world because of this fun idea that we had, and then we blew up uh, much the much on the back of his business acumen. Um, he has also been on Broadway a couple of times. He's an outstanding actor. He's going to call me at least seven different names in this show. Try to keep up, my friends. Let us get it Owen right now. The one and only. Slow clap it out. For your boy, Douglas Wydick. Oh, I'm dying. <laughs> that was freaking hilarious, James. Oh, my God. From DeFara to Boca Avocados to calling you names. And, I mean, I'm overwhelmed. So happy to be here, man. My brother, we got we got a history uh, as long as the rap sheep is some of the boys in a mob, you know? Uh, <laughs> but it's just we've been through so much together. Uh, yeah. But, uh, Doug, we met in a musical improv class taught yeah. by uh, Eliza Skinner. Mm -hmm. um now quite famous herself deservedly yeah. so um yeah. and uh and, and we met in that uh, musical improv class and and i had an idea doug can you tell people you can you tell people about this idea that i had and how i approached you about it <laughs> i'm sorry i've told this this story so many times now it's become its own thing uh <laughs> So we were doing freestyling warm-ups with Eliza, and we were doing the standards, Beastie Rap, ABBA, and during the class break or intermission on the class, you walked up to me in the bathroom at UCB, the old one, you know, the one on 27th Street. Oh, sure, Street. sure. All right, oh, sure. And you pulled me aside and you said, hello, signore. I'm curious. I have a little proposition for you. I'm thinking of starting, uh, you know, hip hop. Baby wants candy. Are you interested? And I was like, absolutely, I'm interested. And it sounds like the coolest thing ever. And then you let go of my neck and you said, good. <laughs> and then the rest is history, man. And then I was 30 minutes late to our first rehearsal. You were. Because uh, I was a very novice New Yorker. And in some ways, I still am. Uh, but uh, it was, it's, it's been an amazing journey, man. It's been an, an amazing journey. An amazing journey for sure, brother. And uh, although improv is what brought us together and technically probably uh, is the glue that keeps us together, food is maybe a more consistent thing now in our lives. Um, and uh, and I love that about you. So, Dougie, I always ask people when they come into the diner, what is your standard diner order? What's, what's your move in the diner, brother? All right. Well, from 1 p.m. earlier, yeah, I'm going... <laughs> I like a bacon, avocado, and cheese omelet. 
mm. if they've got avocado. Sometimes they don't have avocado. Uh, and so, then you flip the table and you're like, I'm out of here. I'm going to the Scotty's Diner on the East Midtown instead. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but that was my order for the longest time at Cozy Soup and Burger. But, but, and, uh, in One of the, the show sponsors, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's the spot. And people think I'm talking about Cozy, C-O-S-I, but it's Cozy Soup and Burger on Waverly and Broadway. So that was my breakfast order, but burger with avocado. I'm a little Cali boy for some reason when it comes to these <laughs> diner orders. I mean, a burger at a diner, there's nothing better than a burger at a diner. And a chocolate peanut butter milkshake. Uh-huh. All day. Uh-huh. All day with a yeah. chocolate peanut butter milkshake for sure. Yeah. Uh, Doug, one of my favorite stories about you I'm going to tell, and I didn't ask for permission to. So birthday? here we go. Yeah, 21st we go. birthday. I know you very well. When you, when you want to humiliate me, this is where you go. I'll just sip my tea in anger rage. Brother, there's no humiliation. It's absolute. I, I, I looked at you with absolute awe that night. Doug's 21st birthday. We walk over from his beautiful apartment. We're on the uh, kind of Lower East Side-ish. And, uh, and so we walk over to this diner that was by the spot. And um, and he said, all right, here's what I want. <laughs> and the whole place got quiet. The lights got a little dim, too. Yeah. Like he's like, here's what I want. I want a burger. Oh. He's like, I want a burger. I, oh. want ch- I, want, I want cheddar cheese on it. I want bacon on it. Oh. I want avocado on it. And instead of French fries, I want a side of pancakes. <laughs> the most psychotic 21st birthday order of all time. Yeah, for sure. It was awesome. I had a friend roll. Well, didn't we order? I got. I ordered a ton of sushi to my apartment. Yes. And then, right? yeah, you got sushi to your bed. I believe you were asleep by the time it came. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. Great. Uh, Doug, yeah. I... Uh, I cherish our friendship, brother. Me but too, it's, man. it's so it's so interesting because whenever friends go into business together, it's always a little bit like, is it going to work oh, out? Totally. Right. Like I always tell people never room with your best friends when you go to college, find a new roommate and like and just like, you know, like figure it out. And, when, and it's also suggested, that, you know, don't go into business with your best friends. And uh, I went mm-hmm. ahead and did that. And then I also married my another business partner of mine. So yeah. I'm really I'm doing great. Yeah, you um, really mucked it up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh play playing the swamp. So yeah. um but uh but but Doug, it's interesting because I mean we had this I had this idea a while to start this hip hop improv team because in the in the heart of New York City where there's no uh where where hip hop was created, there was nobody infusing these two beautiful art forms that we love. And so uh so I had this idea. You were on board as I strongly suggested to you with my hand around your neck in a bathroom. Um It was an anxiety producing moment for sure. <laughs> You said um, you're either doing this or you're doing this. You're either doing this or you're doing this. Yeah. So, um, but we just started as something that was cool. It was a fun idea. Uh, but then we, but then it started to get bigger. We started mm-hmm. to get bigger, and you saw the vision. Uh, I always kind of had this idea of what it could be, um, yeah. and you were actually the one that slammed the gas towards it. Yeah. Uh, right? Like I was like, "This could be cool. We could do this one day." What's weird? You're like, "You're like, hey, how about we stop talking about it um, and actually yeah. do it?" Yeah, and definitely made people uncomfortable with how much I believed in it because they were like, "I'm not, sh- I'm not sure how much I believe in myself," you know, and yeah. my ability to do this. And I was like, "We." Got this. So, yeah, sorry, I didn't let you finish. Yeah, with no, your you're best. great. No, I'm, I love, please keep cutting me off um, in all seriousness. And, but, okay. and that's the thing is that it is your unflappable, unwavering confidence um, in when you, when you believe in something that's so beautiful about you, brother. Um, and, uh, and your ability to just, like I said, smash the gas and go uh, is incredible. Um, but it's interesting because you and I are a little bit different in business. And we knew each other as friends, but knowing each other as friends versus business partners, that's a different, that's a different uh, a beast a little bit. How has the experience been for you working with someone who is a good friend as a business partner? Yeah. Well, I, I certainly understand why people tell people not to go into business with their best friends because you're creating a whole new set of boundary issues. You're like, okay, I enjoy hanging out with you, and now we have to go balance the books. It's just <laughs> like there's too many different tensions to deal with. It's like I have this set of things about our friendship I'm trying to deal with, and I have this set of things about our working relationship to try to deal with, and to mix them all together, it's not clean, as you put it. 
right? Yeah. You're just like, you know, like, let's make sure it's clean, now, huh. you know? And that option right there, that feels real clean. And so uh, I feel like the way it's been for me has been an absolute adventure and journey in learning more about myself mm -hmm. and how you and I solve problems differently, right? Because yes. ultimately, we're just trying to solve problems. Yep. And so you and I... We have different, uh, you know, first impulses, right? You're a little more cerebral, and I'm a little bit more like, uh, I'll like jump into something before I'm ready, and sometimes to a fault. And so we we actually have a good uh, back and forth and push and pull that way that I think has been part of the team's success because you're very thoughtful and you're very good at taking the temperature of everybody's feelings on the team, and you're way more empathetic to that than I am. Whereas I'm like, all right, it's 1 a.m. There's a 4 a.m. flight to Munich. There's a Munich Improv Festival in two weeks. Let's go! You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, and so I think I think we balance each other out well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I agree, man. I agree. And it, it's, it's funny because uh, you are... Our relationship has taught me so much about being a human, about being a business person, about being a friend. Um, and it is one of my most valued friendships for sure. I, I feel like I have learned more in the journey of our friendship uh, than I've learned in most of my other friendships, even ones that I've had for longer. And, mm -hmm. and I attribute that to the fact that uh, that we have this other entity. We have this other thing. Um, yeah. And I get I get more emails from Douglas Wydick than anybody else in my life. Um, and, 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 and that is, uh, that's attributed to this idea of pressing the gas. Like you just said, where does that, uh, where does that confidence come from within you? Like, how do you, how do you just like, I'm going for it and this is what we're doing. I think it's a combination of two things. I think, I'm in the habit of the hustle. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, I wake up every day. I'm like, where are we going? What are we doing? And it's just the habit that I have. Mm -hmm. And New York's a part of that. You wake up and I, I swear the air changes at 9 a.m. in New York once the emails start flying. Yeah. And I, I think that that's part of it is that I'm in the habit of just doing stuff. And there's my dad's been talking a lot about like hunter gatherer mindset and how it's folded over into the uh, 21st century and technology and how we have this old brain that's dealing with these new things and that's part of why people can never be happy with their successes because they're like well i gotta feed my family i gotta go find another bison to kill you know what i mean <laughs> and so the it's no longer bison it's the next freelance project it's the next college it's the mm. next thing so i think part of that for me i'm always looking for the next bison and i don't fully sometimes savor the last one which is why i've been meditating this year because i'm trying to savor the last bison uh <laughs> but then the other side of it is that i think i have a little chip on my shoulder because i have come from an extremely lucky background having been born male white from a privileged background in America. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I hit the privilege lottery. And so I did. And yeah. so I feel like there's a little part of me that's like, uh, I gotta, I gotta work because I don't want people to think that the stuff I'm getting is because of that. I want people to see the work ethic. I want to show mm -hmm. this work ethic. And I've probably been guilty of a showing it too much and having a little bit of a manic manifesting approach to some some of my work, which is something that I try to be more mindful and deliberate about now. Yeah, for sure. Let's go back to a couple. You just said a couple of really brilliant things. Um, first off, this hunter-gatherer mindset in 2020 is a fascinating thought. When yeah. I finished, uh, when I finished my book, <laughs> leading it perfectly, hey, it's right here. Uh, no, <laughs> when I finished my book, uh, I literally started my next book maybe a week later. And I didn't market this book. I didn't put it out there that, that in a strong way, right? Like mm -hmm. a few Facebook posts, a few emails, a few whatever. But like I did not give it its due credit given how much time and energy was put into it because I was already on to the next thing. It's like, cool, I wrote a book. I think I'll write another. Um, yeah. and, uh, and it was immediately jumping into it. Uh, and so I also, at that point in my life, was looking for an escape. I was going through some, uh, as, as I've talked about on the show before, my, my divorce and when I was all around that time. And so, like, let me bury myself into another project. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, but 
it's so interesting with this hunter gatherer mindset because I'm there right now, mm-hmm. especially in in quarantine and in COVID, uh, mm-hmm. because uh, I don't, we still call it quarantine. I don't what's what's going on here. I think it's the <laughs> I think it's become a new thing. It's no longer like you were exposed and now you quarantine. I think we're all just quarantining now. Okay, it's, great. The vernacular has shifted. Perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, but like in, in quarantine, like right now I'm kind of in this, uh, in this mental funk where it's like, I need to be doing something I got, like, I'm not, but I am doing things, right. I'm doing yeah. this show. I'm doing weekly webinars. I do have some other speaking engagements coming up, right? Like I right. got things in motion, but there's this idea still of like, you're not doing enough. Um, and you're not going to be able to provide and you're not going to be able to do all those other kind of things. And so that's such a fascinating mindset that you talked about there. Yeah. Is, is that something that you get plagued by as well? And if Ab- so, how? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, I don't know what day it'll all be enough. I don't know what day I'll have hit whatever predetermined benchmark of success. Is it five figures? Is it six figures in the bank? Is it a family? Is it um, being able to to choose how I use my time? That seems like a pretty good one. Being able to say no to things, that seems like a pretty good one too. The privilege of being able to say no to things. But at the end of the day, will there still be that gnawing feeling in your head that's telling you, eh, you're not busy enough or eh, you could take on one more thing that'll actually take you to the pre determined benchmark of success and so i think that there is a higher level thinking that you can try to engage in 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 your brain that says oh no i i am doing an optimal amount and there are only so many hours in a day and being okay with that and so then at that point it becomes about making the hours in which you are hustling more valuable which is i think a separate separate conversation you know but like being okay with yourself and being okay with what you're doing is not easy. And technology has changed the way we engage with ourselves in a very dramatic way. Yeah. Because yeah, of the 100%. consistent FOMO of social media. The consistent FOMO, the consistent comparison game, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, never enough. Never, <laughs> never. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh <clears throat> For you, um, for you, and it's interesting you mentioned what you did before, and it was uh, the fact that we have privilege that we were able to skip over talking about privilege, but we'll come back to that now. Um, But uh, for you, this hustle, uh, and the way that you put it was pretty beautiful, where it's like, I have been, I have come from enough, right? Straight, white, male, et cetera, et cetera. Like, I have come from enough. I have a family that has done well. um, And so, like, therefore, I must work to show mm-hmm. people that I have earned this, that it wasn't given to me. Right. Cause we know, we know those individuals, those, those classic Brooklyn stereotype, uh, you know, uh, trust fund babies are always called right. And all that kind of yeah. stuff. But, um, but the ability to fight against that stereotype is something that you have always done, but with mm-hmm. your privilege, do you think, I mean, you've, with your privilege, when do you think you first started recognizing it? Um, and like, and what was that process like for you of like, oh, shoot, because I mean, you came from an affluent area in Boca Raton, went mm-hmm. to an extremely exceptional uh, arts high school and then mm-hmm. and then went to NYU. Right. Mm-hmm. One of the, the one or two most expensive schools in, in the uh, uh, in the world um, yeah. and and and, uh, and and all that kind of stuff like you very easily could have just coasted. Um, but but you decided to care. You decided to be like, oh, wait, what is this privilege thing uh, that, that I'm experiencing that other people are say I'm experiencing, but I don't know. Like, what was your journey to recognizing your privilege? When I look back at it, I think it had to do with listening to some of the conversations around me, particularly mm-hmm. at NYU, from some of my less privileged classmates, people who came from marginalized backgrounds, and hearing them talk about privilege and my privilege and instead of brushing it off really listening at that point i knew in high school that um 
this that I was privileged to go to that school, but it was a free magnet arts high school. It was mm-hmm. not a paid magnet school. Yeah. So there still was this like, oh, I'm in a dreamland where my friends are allowed to wear whatever we want and we're artsy and cool and being uh, gay is totally normal. And in my middle school, being gay was totally accepted wow. and normal and fine. I had an extremely separate mental experience than much of the country. Yeah, I was going to say nobody in my high school came out. They all came out afterwards because uh, yeah. it just wasn't a safe spot. But yeah, continue, man. So I was in this show called The Reality Show, and we talked a lot about privilege and we talked a lot about identity in the rehearsal process. The director, Liz Suedos, was a mentor of mine. Mm-hmm. And we just sat and had such difficult conversations in rehearsal because if we could have those difficult conversations in rehearsal, we could write about them and then relate to the incoming freshmen. And ultimately, we were trying to tell stories and relate to the incoming freshmen. Yeah. And so I think hearing people be vulnerable in those rehearsals made me realize just what I had in terms of having been a straight white Male, America, all these things, you know, the list goes on, uh, privileged background. And so I, I feel like I said, okay, this is a responsibility now. Mm -hmm. So I would feel tremendous guilt whenever I was living in a, you know, in a, in an area that was deemed as safe, whatever kind of, you know, I mean, uh, problematic labeling that is of yeah, certain sure. neighborhoods. Um, and I, as you can tell, I'm working through all of this still. I was just in my anti-racist book club before this. Uh, and so ultimately, I felt a responsibility to reckon with my privilege. And I'm grateful that I did. And um, it's it's a journey. There's no destination. There's yeah. no destination. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, that was beautifully put. I got to see the reality show; is incredible. Um, and, uh, and 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 shout out to Liz Suedos as well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> for sure, a great, a true, light, a true light, a true light. But uh, but still, um, it's still interesting because I know for me, like I got that training that you got in the reality show. Um, I got an RA training. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that was kind of like where I got my like, oh, shoot, I just figured out that I was white. Right. Yeah. Or that I was straight or, or that a man like what all what all those things and what they mean. Um, and so uh, as you continue on into your art, uh, as you continue on into your art, uh, is there especially especially right here in 2020, um, are you looking for ways to uh to work with different types of individuals and things like that and, and, and lift voices of, uh, of, of other populations and whatnot. Like, I mean, what does that look like for you as a creator now who's having, a, we're always shifting, right? Um, how does that look like for you as someone who is, who's always created really amazing pieces of art going forward? What, what does it shift your process at all? Yeah. I mean, I think that there is a conscious process when creating now to First, check my privilege in the creation of that process and say, is this piece glorifying something problematic or is this piece inherently uh, problematic for reasons that I might not be aware of and trying to think about the way it might be affected? But then also, I mean, um, not affected, the way the piece might um, affect somebody. Yeah. But then also, like like a, I, I had a music video out in 2013 that look at, I looked back on it this year and I said, this is probably a little sexist, and I took it down. And so mm-hmm. looking at that was a very sobering experience to look back and say, okay, I had a blind spot then, and and that I it, it's, it's better for this piece not to be something out there anymore. But then um, in terms of the collaborative process of bringing in people, I think one of my biggest blind spots is like finding diverse crews to work mm-hmm. on film projects with. And I think that it's um, something that I have no excuse for having worked with zero black directors of photography or very few black directors. And so trying to take those processes, make them conscious so that they can eventually just be a part of me. But doing the hard, difficult work now of the conscious work of being better about, um, of, of making those processes as collaborative as possible. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's beautiful, man. <clears throat> that's beautiful. And and I love how you just put it like the fact that it's like right now it needs to be conscious so that it, so that it can move to the subconscious. It just kind of is what it is eventually. But that's why it's worth the thought, worth the work right now. That's why the uncomfortability that people talking about stay in that uncomfortability um, because uh, it will become comfortable because you will get to the other side, not because you will have retreated back. Um, yeah. And uh, and so uh, that's why staying in that uncomfortable comfortability is so powerful. I love the way you put that uh, for sure. And, and here's the Thanks, thing that man. I love about you, Doug, is that when most people initially meet you, you're a good time. Um, and right. And it's, <laughs> it's a lot like, Oh no. Hey, no. Hey, oh, yeah. hey, oh, hey, what's going on there? Bobby Gordon Zola. Oh, okay. Yeah. There Frederick Fiddlesticks. Oh, oh John that- G. Gruyere coming down the pipeline. <laughs> if I haven't seen you in a baker's dozen nights, that's 13 nights. I do say, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a standard greeting from Douglas Whiting. Yep. Um, yep. and, that and was wrote. you have, <laughs> You have this persona uh, that is uh, that is larger than life, but you also have this complete other side that people just got to see a little bit of, and that mm-hmm. I'm excited to to highlight a little bit on this show of uh, of you are an incredibly well read individual. I mean, I think you're crushing at least a book a week, um, oh. and uh, <laughs> right, and uh, and like you said, you meditate, you practice mindfulness, and there is this Zen wisdom underneath all of the seemingly manic energy, um, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I couldn't have put it better myself, <laughs> but it, it's so, it's so beautiful for you. And it's so, it's, it's awesome to be your friend. It's also, it's also, it, I, I love it as some of some with ADHD. I like the fact that I'm walking in and not knowing which Doug I'm going to get. Um, <laughs> and uh, right. Or, or knowing that the switch will happen at some point. Yeah. But uh, for you, that big bubbly personality, is that something that you kind of always had growing up, right? I mean, I, I watched you. I mean, a fun fact about Doug, he was on the Rosie O'Donnell show and beat her in a Harry Potter trivia competition. Truth. Uh, truth. Um, and right. And like, even that, like that kid, that kid with the, with the frosted tips, like had swagger on the stage, right? Like, mm-hmm. and had, and had character, a little pop, a little zhuzh, right. And, yeah. uh, and, and so have you always had that kind of larger in life side? And do you find that that slowly, is it slowly shifting? Are you slowly getting more, uh, introspective? Like, or are you, or is it truly just like, nah, I kind of got two temperatures and let's see what's going on. Yeah, there's a lot. You just said a lot, and I'm going to try to figure out which thing to unpack. Perfect. You're welcome. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I think that I've definitely always had very charismatic and eccentric parents, and so that's a part of it. And um, we used to have a joke in our house that we were the loud X, not the white X. And because we were just loud in the morning, it was like a morning and there was toast flying and and it was just crazy. This was when we lived in West Boca for a couple of years. The loud X was a major thing we would say. And uh, and then I had this guitar teacher who was fully larger than life and larger than life. He was a huge man with a huge personality, and his name is Olaf. He currently lives in Atlanta, and he was just – I was just like – that's what a creative person is like. So from my parents to Olaf to a hilarious cousin I had who made me want to be funny because he was so funny. My goal every single day was to try and be as funny as him. I had all these people around me and that was a major influence on me at a very influential age. But at the same time, I've always had this little thinker and like selectively introverted side of me Mm -hmm. and this part of me that sort of muses on stuff. And like, I have memories of like this one time I don't remember why I was crying, but I would like was waiting for my brother in the car line sobbing. And then one of my brother's classmates went up to the window to try to say hi to me. And then instead of saying hi to her, I sobbed harder. Uh, 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 uh. A little sentimental doggy. <laughs> yeah, like I just don't know why I was crying. Yeah. But when you look back, you're like, oh, okay. So both sides have probably been there since day one. Uh, and so I think they've manifested into an adult 
who has definitely used comedy as a, not just a defense mechanism, but as a survival mechanism in a crazy world. Mm-hmm. I'm really good at cutting tension in rooms using humor. I'm really good at breaking the ice using humor. And so I feel like I've always used charisma and comedy to break the ice in 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 those situations. It's helped me meet potential romantic uh partners and things like that mm-hmm. comedy's always been this like little superpower that comedians have to help them through life but you break through that through with with almost any comedian there's a lot there is a lot underneath it for yeah. so many in comedy and some of the deepest conversations i've ever had in my life have been with makers of mary because there's a lot going on underneath the laughs <laughs> so much uh yeah. yeah yeah you're you're completely right uh and and i have really enjoyed getting to know that side of you more um because uh, you're a teacher in in and in all the learning that you do, you are also quick to teach and not in like, uh, let me tell you something here, boy. Um, right. Uh, but like, <laughs> um, but like, it is interesting the way you'll pull out these nuggets of like, well, I was reading atomic habits and, um, <laughs> do I put on that voice? Well, I uh, I mean, uh, excuse me. <laughs> do I become a Wellesley TA? <laughs> well, I was reading atomic habits, sipping Cabernet Sauvignon in my small office with a tweed jacket on. <laughs> uh but uh it is uh yes is the answer sorry okay, to your cool. question yes well, you I do that, on that yeah. voice great yeah okay, absolutely yeah. Copy. Um, right, well this has been really fun james yeah yep, thanks. okay <laughs> but uh uh it's been awesome getting to know that side of you but i love what you said earlier where you know it's true with that that charisma is sometimes that charisma is sometimes the defense mechanism, right? Like extroverts, extroverts sometimes get get loud when they're insecure and introverts mm-hmm. get quieter when they're insecure. And, and both can definitely go both ways also. Like I I know I'm I'm a true extrovert, test extrovert. I don't know if I hide it well. Mm-hmm. Um but mm-hmm. uh um, but I certainly can have my quiet moments as well, mm-hmm. uh even even in groups and stuff like that. But as you think about some of those defense mechanisms. And what humor does, uh, do you find yourself leading less with it now um, or selectively pulling it out? Or is it kind of still, you know, this a similar uh, uh, tambourine shake? I think it's the first one. I think that going to acting school and then experiencing life in my 20s and all the hard emotions that it offers uh, made me a little bit more comfortable with myself and then i was able to bring that into day-to-day interactions and not always have to run in the room and immediately be like bergdorf goodman arf narf (laughs) 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 and say some dumb joke you know or come in and immediately start rapping because that's how i deal with anxiety you know (laughs) no you come in the room and you just say hi to your friends and that's not always going to be dangerous especially if you surround yourself with the right people you're not going to get hurt if you're yourself. And so, so many comedians use the comedy to control and neutralize situations to uh, lessen the amount of hurt they're going to have, right? Yeah. And so, I think that if we're trying to reduce suffering, there's a lot of joy to be had in being yourself. And so, comedy is not always the answer to reduce your own personal suffering. Yeah. Uh, but it is cheaper than psychiatry and psychology. <laughs> Out of network charges. Hey-o. I love it. So, uh, so Dougie, this is a uh, segment of the show uh, that uh, we talk about uh, things that uh, you didn't know about me, but you're now glad that you did. Um, and uh, we kind of share some some random facts about ourselves. Oh, cool. I took some notes for this part. Oh, did you? Yeah. That's perfect. I love yeah. it. Do you want to go first or do you want no, me to go first? No, you're going first. Nope. It's your show. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, shoot. <clears throat> um, so a, uh, a, a random fact about me is that 
Uh, to impress a girl one time, uh, I took her sailing. Um, she was in college, but we were back on Long Island, uh, and I took her sailing on my little sunfish. And uh, and so we're out we're out in the Great South Bay off the coast of Long Island, and we're out in the sunfish. And the wind was a little bit too breezy for me to be out there, uh, and especially because I hadn't sailed in a while, and it's a small boat. They're meant to flip over. They're easy to flip back. But uh, what happened was that we flipped over. Uh, when I was trying to turn, and then unfortunately the ki- there was a kink in the rope, and so the the sail didn't let go, and it stayed taut, and the boat proceeded to go about a hundred yards further before it flipped. And by the time we caught up to it, uh, by the time we caught up to it, the boat had dug itself into the sand on the bottom of the the water, and we had to be rescued by the coast guard. Needless to say. Yet another moment where I remained single. Wow. <laughs> wow. See, now, I didn't know these were, like, stories. They don't have, have to be stories. Short, they're, like, quick bites. They're That's quibbies, perf- give me, you give might me, call yeah. it. Oh, sure, yeah. Very on trend. Very on trend. <laughs> give, me, give, me a, give me a quibby, Doug. Okay, well, this is just a random fact slash quirk, a la your waffle anecdote you like to tell. Your pancake <laughs> anecdote you like to tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, I enjoy having a hot and cold caffeine source at the same time. So if I can make iced tea and iced tea and hot coffee at the same time, I love that. Like I love the fact that I'm living in both summer and winter simultaneously. Simultaneously, just like the two personalities we were just talking about. Yeah, uh- <laughs> yeah. Robert Frost and Dr. Seuss at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> An animal from the Muppets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so hang on. Now, do you, is there an order at which you sip them? Will you go hot, cold, hot, cold? Or do you, like, what's the move there? I think it depends on whether they're in their optimal temperature zone. So mm, if the hot mm. thing is, yeah, I turned into <laughs> Wellesley Doug right then. <laughs> Um, so I feel like if the cold drink has plenty of ice, then I'll work the hot drink. Hi, Emery. How's it going? Uh, uh, so if, if, the if the hot drink is super, um, if it's hot and there's plenty of ice in the icy drink, then I will work on the hot drink. But if they're both in their optimal zone, Mm -hmm. I will work on both of them. At the incredible. same time, incredible. the term "work on" sounds a little weird. <laughs> I will drink. Both get, o- of get over here, macchiato. Get over here. Uh, get over here. <laughs> come on, pig. Um, come on, piggy. So- <laughs> I can't do it right now. That's a uh, that's a, uh, a quick callback from an improv scene where Doug proceeded to chase me around while I was a pig on stage. Um, yeah, yeah <clears> anyway. you were a grown ass man on your hands and knees on stage. I was very. I was like, he's gonna be in pain in the morning. I was. Yeah. Oh, well, that happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I think Stacy brings up an interesting point here where you're really putting your teeth through hell uh, mm-hmm. with that hot, cold situation. There's but, a teeth journey. Mm, mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. That'll, that'll, we'll invite you back to talk about that. Um, the uh, Tina says that I drink hot liquids faster than anybody she knows. Um, and, like, I just, like, I don't, I, as soon as it is at, what mm-hmm. we would call the optimal temperature. Oh yeah, that's what uh, I begin to Wellesley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I begin to work on it very quickly, um, and I drink like as soon as it like as soon as my hot tea. I don't like coffee. As soon yeah. as the hot tea hits the right temperature, I will drink it quickly because I'm not interested in it getting to a sub temperature. Are you anxious that a microwave won't be around soon? Never or even you- thought about it. Okay, so you're just like, this is one sip, Tommy. I'm going all the way in on this. I, the first thing you ever offered me in terms of a beverage was tea in your old sure. Fordham mansion that you had. <laughs> where you had a room for photography and a room. You, you had a room for your hats. You had a wall with all your Kangals on the wall. And then you were like, would you like a blueberry tea? Oh, 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 oh. That's, a, that's a direct quote um, yeah. and an accurate story. Yeah. Uh- <laughs> wall of Kangals. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Uh, they don't call me loose lift Bobby for nothing. Uh, well, this has been fun. 
<laughs> we should tell we should have a tally how many times you leave um yeah, yeah. so uh let's let's uh, let's let's learn another uh, fact about you let's get a little bit deeper with this one uh i would okay. i'm curious to hear uh mm-hmm. what is one of your what's one of your biggest fears uh, i'll go first again because okay. that would be rude for me to make you go um but uh one of uh one of my biggest fears is that i will not tell my parents I love them enough before I lose them. Um, and that's morbid, but that's okay. Hi, mom and dad. Thanks for watching. Um, but like, it's so funny. Tina makes fun of me, but at the same time, it's like, it's really endearing and really beautiful. But whenever I get off the phone uh, with my parents, it's always, it's a, it's a round of, it's only, it's a round of, I love you. Take care. Talk to you soon. Take care. Okay. I love you. Be well. Okay. Stay safe. Take care. I love you. Okay. Bye. Good. Take care. Bye. And it's just like, eventually the phone just like drifts away. Take care. Yeah. I love you. And then it's right. like, hang up. You're in the honeymoon. Um, phase with your parents you always know? i stay yeah. there um but uh and so that first. is that's a big uh but yeah that's that's a that is a a fear of mine is that like i just i just need them to know uh how much i appreciate them and what they've done for me um and so that that's that's uh that's one of my fears that i have well um I feel like a lot of people share that fear because the your parents are the primary attachment in your life and losing them is an absolutely gnawing a gnawing premise the idea that they'd be gone because they are, are the ones who gave you life and they're the reasons you you lived to make it to adulthood yeah and so um you know Brene Brown has a really good and I I don't mean it to sound funny when I say that but you and I bring her up a lot so it sounds like a comedian. <laughs> we both I do I do have a number of Brene Brown books back here yeah she on talks my bookshelf of what's it called the bookshelf oh, it's of the credibility? credibility bookshelf oh perfect okay good, yeah good to know <laughs> yeah that's a thing now that's going to be in the OED soon Oxford English Dictionary, Wellesley Doug. And uh, so, um, <laughs> uh, so, but Brene Brown does talk a lot about the inability to enjoy the current moment because we're afraid of something bad happening, impending doom, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. And um, I've tried to avoid that because, like, I had some really beautiful, this is going to be a horrible false equivalency, and please don't be offended, but I had some really beautiful moments with one of my dogs mm-hmm. before it passed away because I yeah. knew it was getting old. And I would just, like, we were be at the airport, and I would just, like, be telling her I loved her. I would, like, try to look in her eyes and, like, try to tell her, and it was never enough. And sometimes it would ruin those moments because I didn't get to enjoy them. I was so worried. I was like this will be the last time this will be the last time this will be the last time and so i tried then to just let go and then some of the actual last times were really beautiful Mm -hmm. that's awesome and shout out to the scott the uh the the white scotty clan uh for sure Uh, introduced me to those dogs and they are all beautiful um uh, for sure best yeah Yeah, and hopefully there'll be some new ones soon there's been some very very good discussions around getting new scotties in this house let's get it 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 just doesn't feel the same no for sure yeah they're aloof um (laughs) how about you doug what's one of your biggest fears uh, I, I was when I was prepping for the interview, I was thinking a lot about it. And I think that, you know, being an artist, one of my biggest fears is that I'll have nothing interesting to say, especially mm-hmm. as I get older and that my my input and my take on the world will become irrelevant and that I'll create things and that they'll all just go kerplunk and that people that I've missed my window and that my twenties are over and that it's done and that I I'll be a glorified producer slash creator for other people's ideas and relevant projects. And I'll help them execute those, but that mine won't matter. And so that's something that, um, especially turning 30, you think about and fuck the societal narratives around turning 30. They're just so toxic. I turned into a Kelly version of myself right there for a second. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's real. And so what I've, I've tried to actively, uh, I don't know if they're, um, affirmations, but self-talk myself into a better, a mental place around that and being like, fuck that and just like still creating stuff and trying to do that but it doesn't change the fact that it's one of my biggest fears yeah and you i mean we all we both know we could probably both name at least five people um in our individual circles who 
started crushing it at the age of 45 or 50 or 38, right? I think we can all name those individuals like your Lennon Parhams and people like that, that like all of a sudden just like blew the hell up. Um, And, uh, and so there are plenty of individuals out there that fight the narrative, but this is why it's so funny because no matter how many people that fight it, our brain can't get around it. Uh, yeah. And and it's uh, and I definitely feel something very similar. And so a follow up question to you about that, Doug, just to just to kind of explore that a little bit more for you. What what is the dream? I think the dream is to be creating things that also sustain me financially and that are reaching a wide audience. Like as much as I love performing to intimate crowds, I would love to be performing and creating things that reach a lot of people because it would mean I'm having an impact and that what I'm doing is good enough to reach a lot, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I want to create a better world for the generation after me. And by I would like to have the means and the income to be able to have a better life for the next generation after me. That's something that I consider success. But success to me does look like movies and TV and creating comedy albums and all these things still. Yeah. Um, uh, but I also and we talked about this before the interview, have developed lots of other passions in my life like music production and -hmm. getting interested in the world of creating and starting businesses like the one I started with you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And uh, that's beautiful, man. And it's so interesting uh, because this idea of fame and the idea of wanting it's not it's not i mean it's not that you want fame i'm not hearing you say that let me not put that word in your mouth but it's a lot of people here i don't think it's a bad that's what actually just what i was going to say is that a lot of people feel like that word is bad i remember a very powerful conversation that i had with my previous partner and i was about to walk into dodger stadium uh, about to walk into dodger stadium i was out in la and uh and i was talking to her um and and, and I was having, and, and I said, I said, man, it would be so cool to come back here one day and to go to a Dodgers game and have a, have a, have a handful of people stop and be like, Hey, are you so-and-so like, that would be so cool to me um, just to be like, Hey, I saw your thing or Hey, that made me, or you made me think, or I read your book or I, mm-hmm. you know, all those kind of moments. Like I still dream of that moment where I, uh, people have read my book and they stop me in an airport and be like, is this? Is this you? Um, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know who and, that guy is, but I want to meet him. <laughs> me too. Are this you? But uh, um, and and what she said next was uh, she did not know how powerful this was, um, in, in maybe the demise of our relationship. Um, but uh, but she says you don't actually want to be famous, do you? And I was like, yeah, I kind of do. And I think I got to go because another thing is, is that like, I don't, I don't want this immense, like, like, I don't, I'm not going to move out to the Hills, right. In Malibu and have this crazy fame. And like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not necessarily longing for that, but I love the way you just put that is that I want to, I want to create something that mm-hmm. reaches a larger audience that matters. Mm-hmm. I'm going to create something that matters that reaches a larger audience. Yeah. Right. Like I love the stages that I get to be on. I'm very fortunate with the career that I have and that I talk yeah. to, you know, I've talked to, you know, oh, probably over 200,000 individuals Hell and that's yeah. incredible. Um, and there's parts of me that's like, yo, well, wh- who are you? That's not enough for you, bro. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not it. And the answer is still no, it's not enough. Right. Um, and how do you grapple with some of that? Like what is enough? What is not enough for you? Right. You used the phrase earlier of that's how I'll know it's good enough. And what I created is good enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we talked about trying to get on an improv teams at the upright citizens brigade, <laughs> and it would just be cool to get onto that team to know that we are good enough in right. the eyes of people that we respect. And right. Like, it's such a mind bending uh, thought to have punching you in the throat. Um, yeah. But how do you, I mean, how do you handle it? How do you wrestle with it? Oh man. Uh, I think that, that the truth is, is that 
a lot of people who've gotten to that destination have reported back and said it's not what solved their problems. <laughs> yeah. So that's actually very helpful because to those of us still on the journey, we can recognize that the destination won't be the cure or the solve that will make them happy one day. So what is the solve, right? If you still enjoy performing and you still enjoy making things and you still enjoy uh, giving speeches and solving a lot of people's problems who are feeling unmotivated or feeling like they're not being their authentic self if that's in your situation right then then what is the what is the answer right so say say you're reaching that huge crowd and you're making the money and you could have the house in malibu if you wanted it you might feel fulfilled right but there have been lots of people who report back like jim carrey who say yeah. you know i hope everybody gets everything they ever wanted so that they know that it's not the answer right and so yeah, the great quote it is a good quote. And so you have to look at it and you have to say, okay, well, does the process of creating these things give me joy? If that's brutal and then the destination is not going to be something that solves your problems, then you got a real conundrum. So you have to enjoy the process of making whatever you're making that then subsequently makes an impact on people because that's such a huge part of the journey. And if you can't enjoy that, then that's when you have to kind of relook at your priorities. But I consider success doing things I love and then those things having an impact and sustaining me. And if I can do that, um, then I think I will be successful. And a lot of people like to push back on what the so-called passion hypothesis about, you know, following what you love as opposed okay. to following what you're good at. And there's like a lot of talk about that. And I think it's a hybrid and I think it's a balance. And I think often those two things have a very interchangeable relationship and it's an oversimplification to say it's either what you love or you're good at i just think it's an oversimplification yeah yeah for sure my buddy sam davidson who was actually the first guest ever on here is a outrageous businessman and he talks about how this venn diagram of of where you want to try to find is uh where your passion your talent and what the world tells you it needs overlap right like mm -hmm. that little triangle in the middle is what you're ideally trying to find mm -hmm. um because uh, you can have a passion for basketball all you want. If you don't have a talent for it, you're not gonna you're not gonna play, um, yeah. right? <laughs> and yeah. uh, uh, and so yeah, that 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 interesting uh, mix of those three things. And I'm so glad that you brought up this point because I was going to quote you, and then you quoted yourself. So well done uh, about well, you know that. When you told me this at a in a diner in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. uh, of course, a fitting right <clears throat> at a yep. diner oh. in Brooklyn, uh, you told me, uh, James, it's not, it's not about you have to be as in love with the journey to your destination as you are with the destination, and that rocked my world a little bit uh, because there was a lot of parts of the journey that I was not in love with or was not trying to be in love with, like not trying to see the beauty in them. I was just trying to see the, it's like, well, it's a stepping stone. It's what you got to do. Um, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so the necessary steps. Here we go. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, now apparently we're both Bernie Sanders at this point. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so, but the, uh, that idea of falling in love with the process that idea of falling in love with the steps is uh, is one that I've tried to get more invested in. Um, I am such a cerebral thinker, as you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. so big picture um, yeah. that sometimes it's hard for me to land the plane and enjoy the moments a little bit like we talked about earlier too, um, along those, those and, and seeing some of those moments as wins along the way. Um, but that is just such a, it's just such an important nugget uh, yeah. of, of wisdom that you just dropped on everybody. And I don't, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, apparently it was a, it was a duck under my mic. Um, yeah. but still, um, I think that, uh, I, I think that this idea of chasing it is, is still worth it. And I think the idea of chasing it is worth it because if the journey, if you love the journey, then it's worth it. But for you, Doug, in the chasing, you have had to come up with, some other alternatives to make ends meet. 
Oh, right. Yeah. Like it just, and, and so, like you said, you, you fall in love, you have sweet tea studios where you do mm-hmm. music production. You created a website called very own song where you are making songs up for people on the spot. I sent one to my mother uh, for mother's day and she loved it. Um, and, uh, and so um, you're now doing something called very own podcast where you're helping individuals that do podcasts, enhance the audio quality and doing some editing for them. Um, all of these little things are, from the outside looking in sometimes look like, Oh, did he forget about the dream? Right. Uh-huh. But yeah. that I know you didn't, no. you obviously know you didn't, no. um, but talk about some of that process of like, all right, I've had to come up with these other little things because turns out money's a thing. Um, yeah. And, uh, and being financially independent is a thing. Uh, yeah. But like, how does it feel for you and how do you pick what things you decide to start because it's not like you're like, I'm going to pick up gardening and then I'm going to get a lawyer, right? Like everything is, it's in the same park. Um, But talk a little bit about that process, man. I mean, it's weird because some days I see it all as one thing. And then other days I'm like, if I never did another person's, uh, you know, podcast theme song, I'd be thrilled or whatever. But I really enjoy making people's podcast theme songs. And I'm not talking about yours. I'm talking about one I just did. (laughs) I just remembered right now that we're also about to work on yours. Uh, (laughs) Douglas Waddick doing the new Diner Talks theme song. Excited for it. it. You know it. Um, So it's so complex, James, because it sometimes really does feel like all one creative thing for me. But then there are other days where it's like, all right, tracking the time so I know how much time I spent on this thing that's paying the bills. And so I think, oh, hey, Nat, how's it going, man? Uh, So I... I think it's it's really complex and ultimately here's what I'll say about it is that I have gotten serious about side hustles and realized I was more passionate about them than I thought mm-hmm. but I've also never gotten less passionate about the main dreams and it makes for a very disorienting at times passions do where I do not know how to budget 24 hours in the day I will say that yeah. and so for me my okay so when I started 2020 my three main tracks in my life, the three things I was focused on were Toxic Masculinity, the musical, mm-hmm. North Coast going to Edinburgh, and yep. my personal auditioning, like the auditioning, right? And then coronavirus hit, and I said, <laughs> I have to make income remotely. How am I going to do this? Yeah. And I doubled down on veryonsong.com and helping people with audio production. But I had also already doubled down on some of my audio production work before that. All of this to say, I'm getting too into the weeds here. All of this to say is some of the language we use around things that support us in lieu of the time that we have not gotten to the dream yet, Saturday Night Live or whatever you want, getting uh, your own network comedy on NBC, which I'm trying to do. I'm writing a pilot right now. And yeah, so, you are. yeah. And that's like, that's that I'm super passionate about that, but it also doesn't mean that I don't like mixing or that I don't like audio production. I freaking love audio production. So mm. I think that ultimately, sure. Some of it is about survival. Some of it is, but then you also realize, huh, I'm pretty good at, so in yeah. uh so in this maybe maybe I do have more passion for it than I thought which flips the passion hypothesis on its head it's like being good at something and you'll find the passion so mm-hmm. competency can really make your heart swell and when you're good at something the way I'm inherently and I've always had a knack for music my whole life it it, it can make you have a lot of joy for it i hope that was a relevant and competent answer cuz it sure didn't sound very good to me <laughs> Well, make sure you listen back to it and judge yourself when no one's around. Um, But uh, no, Doug, it really was. It really was good. I I definitely kept up with you. And I thought it was interesting because I was going to say it sounds like some of the music production stuff for you is in that music, as you mentioned, that is in your talent circle. Um, Mm -hmm. And and you do have a passion for music, but Mm -hmm. music doesn't 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 necessarily mean it's the end for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and I think that's where people sometimes muddy those two, but in an appropriate way, like 
we love to contribute to the world in ways that we are good, right? Yeah. And like uh, that we are good at doing. This is, I, mean, I use this example all the time in some of my leadership talks. I can be the finance person in your club, in your business, in your whatever. I, I can learn Microsoft Excel, okay? Like I'm a, I'm a human being capable of learning. Right. Uh, and I, can, I can make it happen, but I don't want to spend that time doing it. And also when I finish the task, I'm not going to be like, oh, there it is. Did it again. Worked again. I'm the man. I'm going to be like, thank God that was over. That was terrible. Right? Like it's some people who love cleaning their house because they're like, everything's perfect. Everything has its place. I feel like I can start my day. And I'm like, I'm the camera is intentionally facing this way right now because you don't need to see my workspace because I don't care about that. (laughs) And the idea that I would have to take time to clean that is annoying to me. Uh I don't need to clean it to start. Um, And so there's this interesting idea that you're talking about um, that is uh, that when you are good at something, when you are good at something, it feels like you add value to the world. Um, and it feels like you're contributing. You're not just working. Right. Um, and so that is the beauty of what of what you're doing. Um, but also hearing the friction that it's not quite hitting it on the nose of what you want in your life mm-hmm. um, and uh, is is right. It's, it's like, it's close and you care about it, but it's just not quite there. And that's why you have some of those days that are tough. Sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's funny though, because if I never got to that quote unquote TV show or whatever, I would not be an unhappy person. Which is why I think that there is actually some really problematic narratives pushed in Western society and around the way professionals are like, "Well, I'm not famous yet," or "Or I'm not like." I actually think that's problematic. I think that if you are enjoying what you are doing, there is that is like you can you don't have to be thinking about the place you haven't gotten to. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Doug, you are brilliant, my brother. And, uh, and I'm excited that the world got to see both sides of you tonight because both sides are, are equally beautiful and they come together, uh, to make this, uh, beautiful burrata arugula salad. Um, and, uh, and it's just, uh, I'm just so grateful to have you in my life. Uh, and I'm proud to call you my friend and my business partner. And, uh, I can't thank you enough for doing this show tonight, man. Thank you. It was really awesome being on here, James. Thank you so much for having me. Hell yeah. My friends, if you are listening uh, to the podcast and you want to hear the Q&A with Doug, make sure that you go to my YouTube page. Type in James Robolata on YouTube and it will come up. Search for the Douglas Wydeck episode. It's episode 15. Um, and make sure that you tune in there if you want to hear some of the Q&A. For those of you uh, that are on the podcast, also please make sure to like and subscribe and also smash that review button and leave some leave a review for it it'd be super special if you could um and thank you all so much for tuning in be well thank you so much for tuning into this episode of diner talks with james it was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth <laughs> if you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now. You're going to make me blush. <laughs> also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, While we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.